Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is Nicole Hannah Jones, creator of the 1619 Project from the New York Times Magazine. The project makes a case that you don't often hear in history textbooks that slavery was foundational to America. So it wasn't surprising that we ignited a fierce debate among historians about these issues. But that's the power of the New York Times, to spark an important dialogue with bold, rigorous reporting that forces us to examine our assumptions. To learn more, go to nytimes.com slash worth it. For me, my art is my activism. Mm. Um, if they feel like their art should be theirs, use that. But you have to define your activism. But the most important thing is to just be active. And I think that's what we have to remember um, beyond even social media and stuff like that. We have to be active. Um, so definitely, guys, pace yourself, take care of yourself. And I promise you'll be well on your way yeah. to changing the world. Hi, I'm Angie Thomas, and you're listening to The Wannabe Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Wannabe Podcast. I'm your host, Imri. Catch a brand new 30-minute episode every Wednesday this month. The Wannabe Podcast is back for a Black History Month special, and I'm going to be sharing the stories of phenomenal Black women who are almost certainly making history with their work. I got to interview New York Times bestselling author Angie Thomas. She wrote a book called The Hate You Give, which I think you'll really like. It's about a teenage girl called Star who witnesses her friend die at the hands of the police. The book just got turned into a movie with Amanda Stenberg as the lead actress, and it's so good. You have to go and see it. Honestly, it's kind of a lot. There's police brutality, Black Lives Matter, dealing with white friends and microaggressions, but it's iconic. The film is out now, so please do go and see it and support that work. I can't wait for you to hear this episode. You are undoubtedly on a path to success right now. And Angie shares how she's managing being on social media in the face of sudden success. We talk about what it's like to give up control of your work and how you can be a better activist and make real change in your community. Angie is on a whirlwind of success right now. And to be honest, I just wanted to see how she was doing. I'm so pleased to kind of be in your presence again. The last time I saw you was at City Hall um, when you were in London last year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so we had like, we had another podcast that was recording and we had like a five minute in like a meeting room with you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, let's just get like a couple of questions really quick. Um, and yeah, but you were just such a joy. And I just remember like you just being so positive and just like, genuinely surprised by like how everything was going at the time and it was still early days but obviously there was so much buzz around the book and yeah now from like then to now it's just been insane so first <laughs> question is how are you um I'm exhausted <laughs> you know but um it's it's the good kind of exhaustion you know um it's it's been amazing to um talk about the movie and to see people's reactions to it already and stuff it's just that's been one of the best parts so I love going to screenings and hearing the reactions during mm. the movie so it's it's been a lot but it's been a good a good lot <laughs> yeah I can imagine how are you coping mentally with just mm -hmm. rapid success I mean it is a relatively short window of time <laughs> for being like I imagine like a hermit just writing the yeah. book and <laughs> dealing with all the issues and the themes and getting it edited and just then 
it blows up and becomes this massive phenomenon. And then there's this massive iconic movie that's come out. Like, how are you coping? You know, um, self-care is key. And I mm. tell people all the time, I think self-care is like the biggest form of resistance. You know, you have to take care of yourself before you can fight anything. So for me, like, I love going home. Mm. And just, I do nothing. <laughs> you know, I go home, I play video games and stuff like that. Oh, I, what video games are you playing? Well, I'm a big NBA 2K okay. um, player. Right now I'm on 2K19, playing for the Lakers with LeBron. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's going to continue, you know, oh. but we're, we're, we're doing pretty well so far. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's stuff like that. Just, just allowing myself to be a kid again at times, you mm. know, going to trampoline parks and stuff. I do what? that. This sounds so fun. <laughs> it is, but you, you have to do stuff like that, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that's what helps me the most is just allowing myself to be a kid again, you know, even doing stuff like collecting Funko Pops. A what? Funko Pops. They're these little action figures. And they, oh. Yeah. And so they do them in different themes. Like they had a whole Black Panther theme. So they had all. Are they the ones with the like massive heads and yes. little bodies? Yes. Is that what they're called? Yes. I had no Funko idea what Pops. They were yes. Yes. <laughs> so like I got the Black Panther ones and I got like Coming to America and stuff oh, like nice. this. That sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. I went to a wedding once and they had those on the table along with like mm -hmm. a random other nerd memorabilia. Yeah. I have no better words for that. But, <laughs> yeah. They look really cool. That's a fun thing to collect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just doing stuff like that. That helps me keep going. Yeah, that's awesome. How, I mean, did you ever imagine when you were writing this book that you were like, this is going to be a movie and people are going to kind of see it come to life? Did mm. you ever imagine that happening ever you know I didn't know if it would happen you know there were all these people coming in saying you know like even I talked to George and stuff and George was like um yeah yeah we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and even though people were saying they're gonna do it it didn't you know click yeah. honestly I've seen the movie four times now and I don't think it's really clicked yet that yeah it's actually out there you know <laughs> but um I I never would have imagined yeah. this this level of success this level of support and just this level of love that both me and the book and now the film have been receiving is phenomenal it blows my mind yeah it has been really well received I yeah. so I watched it like a month ago because uh I got access to the screening and I was really excited about it I took my sister and I just I don't think I was mentally or emotionally or any kind of prepared mm -hmm. for just how relentless it was like the pain just kept coming I mean there were obviously like loads of breaks and mm -hmm. comedy moments and you you find yourself being like oh okay okay I can mm -hmm. come down from some of these but it just it kept going and going and going and I just wanted to know what it was like for you when you're making this movie to kind of then relive some of that because mm -hmm. you obviously wrote the book and had to kind of go through all of the emotions of writing it and creating those moments and then for then that to happen again kind of with people bringing it to life what was that like for you? You know that that was surreal and it was hard at times you know mm. I was there when they did the shooting scene mm. and my mom was there with me and she had to walk off set for a while to get herself together, you know. And I was just trying to hold myself together. But then when she came back, she hit me. Oh, wow. And she was like, why'd you do that to that boy? Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. But, you know, but it, it, was, it, was, it was rough. And also it was rough seeing, like, what it put the actors themselves through. Mm. The fact that they were willing to go to these spaces, you know, especially Amandala. Mm. Because she's in every single scene in the movie. She carries this film, you know, and she carried stars trauma she carried her her fears and her frustration and her anger and her pain she carried all of that with mm -hmm. her and and she but she did it so well she you, did 
Yeah, she did. And so, but that was, it was tough. Like I found, I find myself still telling her, I am so sorry. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, you know, I am, I'm so sorry. But, um, one thing I appreciate is that everyone, even though it was sometimes emotionally draining, it was, everyone kept a, a positive, um, outlook on set. There was a family atmosphere mm -hmm. and everybody knew that this was something that we needed to do because we needed people to have the same reactions when they go in the theater. Because once you have that feeling, once you have those emotions for someone that's a fictional character, I hope that they carry over to real people yeah. and that passion is ignited in you so that we can actually create change. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot. Yeah. I, I, I've watched a few movies. Obviously, I being a black woman in the UK, we don't. Our, our problems are there's parallels, but they're different. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we all can see from here what's happening in the US and just how devastating it all is. And I found myself internalizing a lot of the pain, a lot of the anger, and it was just becoming so much for me. So I personally had mm -hmm. to like digital detox switch off. Like I just mm -hmm. I can't even engage with the news anymore. It's just too depressing. Yeah. Have you ever had to do that? And and mm -hmm. how do you then kind of re-enter that space given that the book and the movies out out and you know you have to kind of yeah. maintain your activism yeah you know today I deleted Twitter off of my phone Amen. and it felt so freeing you yes. know because you know now that the movie's out everybody has an opinion you know everybody has a critique and that's mm -hmm. okay you know we're all we all have that right but I can't take all of that in it's done now what's done is done you know and and the the I I would never say that the movie or the book is supposed to be an answer. I hope it's a conversation starter. Mm. You know, huge difference. So I had to I have to take a step back and and what's been really freeing for me, not just today, but period, is I have these moments where I'm in the car and I'm looking at my phone and I set my phone down and I just absorb life. Yeah. And you realize life is not just on here is not just social media and all of the things that I would deal with on social media, all of the news things that I would deal with mm -hmm. when I see them, I'm not facing them every single moment. If I put that down for a second yeah. and it is the most freeing feeling, like I'm going to get rid of Instagram probably at some point. Oh, I well, love I love it so much. Yeah. I love that it. That was a nice one. I will, okay. Yeah. I will say, but what I've gotten away from is reading comments on Instagram. Uh, okay, so yeah. I'm just going to stick to my feed, but it's just, for me, it's okay. I had to remind myself it's okay to step away period. Mm. I don't watch, I try not to watch the news now. Mm. I want to be aware, but I don't want to be obsessed. Yeah. And that's what I find myself getting close to. So I think we have to find a balance of being aware and not being obsessed because after a while, this stuff weighs you down Absolutely. and it makes it even harder. So that's another form of self-care. Stepping back is a form of self-care. Amen. I'm all about self-care. <laughs> I, I get asked to do some like shows about the news and I'm like, I don't know what it is. Right, right. <laughs> I, feel, I think I've gone too far back. I might actually need to step back into awareness. <laughs> um, so I guess I wanted to talk about the activism in the movie because Star is a very young mm -hmm. and... I guess the overarching message without giving away massive spoilers is that she has to really step up and mm -hmm. speak out. And there's huge consequences for that. There's, it's a risk to her life, her family, mm -hmm. so much is at risk if she speaks up and, and says anything. Mm -hmm. um, without any kind of real change possibly happening as well, because that's the overarching theme as well, is that there's never any justice. Right. And so I guess for any young people that are gonna be watching this film and also reading the book, mm -hmm. what do you advise 
for them to do if they're wanting to be activists what mm -hmm. should they do especially if the risks are so great mm -hmm. you know um i would say first when you're dealing with that fear look to the ancestors and i know that's you know that's kind of a cliche thing but really you have to look to the ancestors when i was writing hate you give i had a lot of fear you know i was afraid of what people would say i had a fear that donald trump would one day tweet about my book you know <laughs> i was i was you know i was afraid yeah. i was afraid and it's just all of that of what that could mean for me and for my family but um i had to look i looked to um an uh, unsung hero by the name of mamie till that's emmett till's oh. mother and a lot of people don't know that um when she decided to have the picture of his brutally beaten face put out there for the world. She changed the world, mm. you know, um, that really ignited the civil rights movement as we know it. And I can only imagine the fear that she had when she did that. So I had to look to her for inspiration and I read her autobiography and, and it's just, she just said, you know, when, even in the face of fear, you have to just go forward, you know? So I look to people like that and I would advise young people to look to people like that, read up on them and read about their struggle, not just, the glamorized part read about the things they actually dealt with and recognize if they went through it you can go through it you know you yeah. can survive it it's it's worth it but also we have to remember with activism that it is a marathon not a sprint and so this is going to take time I look at the civil rights movement in the states a lot and you know from my point of view it looks like oh that happened quick that was decades of work though and yeah. we're still trying to get stuff done you know so that's a marathon it's not a sprint so I would advise them to be prepared to pace yourself you know um and also define your activism as you see fit um you know for me my art is my activism mm. um if they feel like their art should be theirs use that but you have to define your activism but the most important thing is to just be active and I think that's what we have to remember um, beyond even social media and stuff like that. We have to be active. Um, so definitely, guys, pace yourself, take care of yourself. And I promise you'll be well on your way yeah. to changing the world. <laughs> what are the three things that you would like them to do? So mm -hmm. what can they physically do on the ground? Mm -hmm. um, I would say one Find out what it's like to be, okay, if you're a marginalized person, you know about the issues in your community. Mm -hmm. um, I would say um, find out what organizations in your community are already doing work to address those things mm -hmm. and see how you can help out. If you're a non-marginalized person, you need to find out what it's like to be a marginalized person in your community. And you will be surprised at the issues that are happening right around you. You know, I've been over here and I've had, I'm going to just say it, I've had white kids say, oh, there's no racism over here. And I'm like, you have not talked to a black person, have you? Never in your life. And right. even if you had, you didn't hear them. Exactly. So. You have not talked to some, you've not talked to a black or brown person. You yeah. don't understand because you've never, you you don't, you saying it's not, it doesn't exist because you haven't faced it. Mm -hmm. So find out what it's like. And then once you guys do know what's happening, get involved with organizations that are already doing great work. Um, there are a lot of wheels out there. We don't need you to recreate the wheel. We need you to keep some wheels going. Yeah. And the third thing would be to, um, once again, take care of yourself in the midst of it, you know, but um, I definitely I definitely encourage young people to reach out to organizations in their communities and help out. That's a great starting point. And if there aren't any organizations, start one. Start one. <laughs>
Exactly. <laughs> if you haven't seen the movement for the work you want done, go ahead and start it yourself yeah. and align yourself with great people who also share that, share your same passion and belief. I actually just wanted to touch on your relationship with George, the mm-hmm. director, and also Audrey, rest in peace, yes. um, who wrote the screenplay and some of the changes that they made because there are a, a few changes in yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. How did you relinquish control? How did you kind of mentally get over some of the big changes that they made in the film? You know, um, early on, I had to allow myself to recognize that I was like, I was a parent giving my kid away to somebody else to raise. Mm. And, you that know, must be so it's hard. hard, you know, <laughs> but I knew early on that, you know, I trusted George and I knew that he'd get this kid into Harvard, you know? <laughs> so, so it was, it was hard at times, but you know, like there were some characters who were cut. And when they mm. told me, I was like, what? No, but I had to listen to George's reasoning and his reasoning made so much sense that I was like okay you know I had to really trust him and trust Audrey and also the other screenwriter who came on later her name is Tina Mabry mm. um, shout out to Tina she's a black woman from Mississippi and she did a phenomenal job yeah. you know um, but um, between the three of them it was I trusted them in the process and that's really what it was about and George has but the thing is George has always um, made sure I was a part of the process yeah. he consulted me a lot um, I was never iced out of it you know sometimes authors don't have any involvement or they're not even even welcome on set. I was welcome on set, all yeah. of that. So I was definitely a part of it. Um, because, But what helped was the fact that he respected the source material mm-hmm. and the source of the source material. So that made letting go a little easier. Yeah. Did you get to choose him as well? Did you have any say in that? Yeah. You know, it was, it was interesting because I had a lot of phone calls with a lot of producers, like over a week's time. Wow. And out of like 15 people that I spoke with, George stood out immediately. And after talking to him, he became the standard for every single call that followed. So I knew he was the one. So I immediately, I told my film agent, like right after I got off the phone with him, I was like, he's the one. She was like, well, let's talk to everybody else. I said, no. (laughs) And she's like, no, we have to talk to everybody else. What was it about him specifically? Just curious. Mm -hmm. He, his passion for the story and then the way he knew my characters so well and the story so well and the perspective he brought as a black man too Mm. on some things that I didn't even think about, you know? So it, it was all of those things. And he was just, he was speaking about them as if they were living, breathing people. And that's what you always want in a, in a filmmaker. Don't forget to head out to the cinema to see The Hate You Give. It is remarkable. And like Angie says, it's the start of a conversation. You can find Angie on Instagram at Angie Thomas. That's A-N-G-I-E-T-H-O-M-A-S. Be sure to share this podcast with a friend who's a bit lost and doesn't know what they want to do yet. You can do this by tagging them and at Wannabe Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Also, feel free to screenshot the episode you're listening to in your Insta stories and I'll reshare them if you tag at Wannabe Podcast. For detailed show notes, photos, freebies and top quotes from this episode, visit wannabepodcast.com and I'll be updating the show notes at the end of each month. This is the last episode in the Black History Month special and it has been an absolute pleasure to create these episodes and introduce you to phenomenal black women. Special thanks to Abadesi Osanshade, Vashti Harrison, Amber Cabral, Amanda Stenberg and of course Angie Thomas. I hope you took something away from each and every one of these women. I'll catch up with you in 2019. If you're loving the podcast and want to see it grow for season two, please do leave a rating and review via Apple Podcasts. And also feel free to reach out to me on Twitter and Instagram at Wannabe Podcast with questions, comments, and even guest recommendations for season two. See you soon. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.